Letter thirty three, part one of Pamela, volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pamela, volume two by Samuel Richardson. Letter thirty three, part one. My dear Miss Darnford, I now proceed with my journal, which I brought down to Tuesday evening, and of course I begin with Wednesday. Towards evening came Sir Jacob Swinford on horseback, attended by two servants in liveries. I was abroad, for I had got leave for a whole afternoon, attended by my Polly, which time I passed in visiting no less than four poor sick families whose hearts I made glad but I should be too tedious were I to give you the particulars. Besides, I have a brief list of cases which, when you'll favour me with your company, I may show you, for I oblige myself, though not desired, to keep an account of what I do with no less than two hundred pounds a year that Mr. B. allows me to expend in acts of charity and benevolence. Lady Davers told me afterwards that Sir Jacob carried it mighty stiff and formal when he alighted. He strutted about the courtyard in his boots, with his whip in his hand, and though her ladyship went to the great door in order to welcome him, he turned short and whistling, followed the groom into the stable, as if he had been at an inn, only instead of taking off his hat, pulling its broad brim over his eyes for a compliment. In she went in a pet, as she says, saying to the countess, A surly brute he always was. My uncle. He's more of an ostler than a gentleman. I'm resolved I'll not stir to meet him again, and yet the wretch loves respect from others, though he never practices common civility himself. The countess said she was glad he was come, for she loved to divert herself with such odd characters now and then and now let me give you a short description of him as i found him when i came in that you may the better conceive what sort of a gentleman he is he is about sixty-five years of age a coarse strong big-boned man with large irregular features he has a haughty supercilious look a swaggering gait and a person not at all bespeaking one's favour in behalf of his mind and his mind as you shall hear by and by not clearing up those prepossessions in his disfavour with which his person and features at first strike one. His voice is big and surly, his eyes little and fiery, his mouth large with yellow and blackish teeth, what are left of them being broken off to a tolerable regular height, looked as if they were ground down to his gums by constant use but with all these imperfections he has an air that sets him somewhat above the mere vulgar and makes one think half his disadvantages rather owing to his own haughty humour than to nature for he seems to be a perfect tyrant at first sight a man used to prescribe and not to be prescribed to and has the advantage of a shrewd penetrating look but which seems rather acquired than natural after he had seen his horses well served and put on an old-fashioned gold-buttoned coat, which by its freshness showed he had been very chary of it, a better wig but in stiff buckle and a long sword stuck stiffly as if through his coat lappets, in he came, 
and with an imperious air entering the parlour. "'What, nobody come to meet me?' said he, and saluting her ladyship. "'How do you do, niece?' and looked about haughtily, she says, as if he expected to see me. "'My lady presenting the countess,' said the countess of C., Sir Jacob. "'Your most obedient, humble servant, madam, I hope his lordship is well. "'At your service, Sir Jacob.' "'I wish he was,' said he bluntly. "'He should not have voted as he did last sessions, I can tell you that. "'Why, Sir Jacob,' said she, "'servants in this free kingdom don't always do as their masters would have them. "'Mine do, I can tell you that, madam. "'Right or wrong, Sir Jacob? "'It can't be wrong if I command them. "'Why, truly, Sir Jacob, there's many a private gentleman carries it higher to a servant "'than he cares his prince should to him.' but I thought till now it was the king only that could do no wrong. But I always take care to be right, a good reason, because I dare say you never think you can be in the wrong. Your ladyship should spare me. I'm but just come off a journey. Let me turn myself about, and I'll be up with you, never fear. Madam, but where's my nephew, Lady Davers, and where's your lord? I was told you were all here, and young H., too, upon a very extraordinary occasion, so I was willing to see how causes went among you. It will be long enough before you come to see me. My brother and Lord Davers and Mr. H. have all rode out. Well, niece, strutting with his hands behind him, and his head held up, ha! He has made a fine kettle, aunt, hadn't he, that ever such a rake should be so caught. They tell me she's plaguy cunning and quite smart and handsome, but I wish his father were living. Yet what could he have done? Your brother was always unmanageable. I wish he'd been my son. By my faith I do. What? I hope, niece, he locks up his baby while you're here. You don't keep her company, do you? Yes, Sir Jacob, I do, and you'll do so too when you see her. Why, thou countenancest him in his folly, child? I'd a better opinion of thy spirit. Thou married to a lord, and thy brother to a canst tell me what, Barbara? If thou canst, prithee do, to an angel, and so you'll say presently. What, dost thou think I shall look through his foolish eyes? What a disgrace to a family ancienter than the conquest. O oh, tempora, O oh, mores, what will this world come to? The countess was diverted with this odd gentleman, but ran on in my praise, for fear he should say some rude things to me when I came in, and Lady Davers seconded her. But all signified nothing. He would tell us both his mind, let the young whelp, that was his word, take it as he would. And pray, said he, can't I see this fine body before he comes in? Let me but turn her round two or three times, and ask her a question or two, and by her answer I shall know what to think of her in a twinkling. She is gone to take a little airing, Sir Jacob, and won't be back till supper-time. Supper-time? Why, she is not to sit at table, is she? If she does, I won't. That's positive. But now you talk of a supper. What have you? I must have a boiled chicken, and shall eat it all myself. Who's housekeeper now? I suppose all's turned upside down. No, there is not one new servant except a girl that waits upon her own person. All the old ones remain. 
that's much these creatures generally take as great state upon them as a born lady and they're in the right if they can make the man stoop to the great point they'll hold his nose to the grindstone and all the little ones come about in course well sir jacob when you see her you'll alter your mind never never that's positive i sir jacob i was as positive as you once but i love her now as well as if she were my own sister oh hideous hideous all the fools he has made wherever he has travelled will clap their hands at him and at you too if you talk at this rate but let me speak to mrs jervis if she be here i'll order my own supper so he went out saying he knew the house though in a better mistress's days the countess said if mr b as she hoped kept his temper there would be good diversion with the old gentleman oh yes said my lady my brother will i dare say he despises the surly brute too much to be angry with him say what he will he talked a great deal against me to mrs jervis you may guess my dear that she launched out in my praises and he was offended at her and said woman woman forbear these ill-timed praises her birth's a disgrace to our family what my sister's waiting-maid taken upon charity i cannot bear it i mention all these things as i afterwards heard them because it shall prepare you to judge what a fine time i was likely to have of it when mr b and my lord davers and mr h came home which they did about half an hour after six they were told who was there just as they entered the parlour and mr b smiled at lord davers and entering sir jacob said he welcome to bedfordshire and thrice welcome to this house i rejoice to see you my lady says never was so odd a figure as the old baronet made when thus accosted he stood up indeed but as mr b offered to take his hand he put em both behind him not that you know of sir and then looking up at his face and down at his feet three or four times successively are you my brother's son that very individual son that your good father used to boast of and say that for handsome person true courage noble mind was not to be matched in any three counties in england the very same dear sir that my honoured father's partiality used to think he never praised enough and what is all of it come to at last he paid well did he not to teach you to know the world nephew hadst thou been born a fool or a raw greenhead or a doting greyhead what then sir jacob why then thou wouldst have done just as thou hast done come come sir jacob you know not my inducement you know not what an angel i have in person and mind your eyes shall by and by be blessed with the sight of her your ears with hearing her speak and then you will call all you have said profanation what is it i hear you talk in the language of romance and from the housekeeper to the head of the house you're all stark staring mad nephew i wish for thy own credit thou wert but what signifies wishing i hope you will not bring your siren into my company yes i will sir because i love to give you pleasure and say not a word more for your own sake till you see her you'll have the less to unsay sir jacob and the less to repent of i'm in an enchanted castle that's certain what a plague has this little witch done to you all and how did she bring it about the ladies and lord davers laughed it seems and mr b begging him to sit down and answer him some family questions he said for it seems he is very captious at times what am i to be laughed at lord davers i hope you're not bewitched too are you 
Indeed, Sir Jacob, I am. My sister B is my doting piece. Phew, whistled he with a wild stare. And how is it with you, youngster? With me, Sir Jacob, said Mr. H. I'd give all I'm worth in the world, and ever shall be worth, for such another wife. He ran to the window, and throwing up the sash, looking into the courtyard, said, Hallo, Soho, Groom, Jack, Jonas, give me my horse. I'll keep no such company. I'll be gone. Why, Jonas, calling again. You're not in earnest, Sir Jacob, said Mr. B. I am. I'll away to the village this night. Why, you're all upon the high game. I'll, but who comes here? For just then the chariot brought me into the courtyard. Who's this? Who is she? One of my daughters started up the countess, my youngest daughter, Jenny. She's the pride of my family, Sir Jacob. I was running, for I thought it was the grand enchantress. Out steps Lady Davers to me. Dear Pamela, said she, humor all that's said to you. Here's Sir Jacob come. You're the countess of C's youngest daughter, Jenny. That's your cue. Ah, but madam, said I, Lady Jenny is not married looking before i thought on a circumstance that i think too much of sometimes though i carry it off as well as i can she laughed at my exception come lady jenny said she for i just entered the great door i hope you've had a fine airing a very pretty one madam said i as i entered the parlour this is a pleasant country lady davers wink when i'm wrong whispered i where's mrs b then, as seeing a strange gentleman, I started half back into a more reserved air, and made him a low curtsey. Sir Jacob looked as if he did not know what to think of it, now at me, now at Mr. B., who put him quite out of doubt by taking my hand. Well, Lady Jenny, did you meet my fugitive in your tour? No, Mr. B., did she go my way? I told you I would keep the great road. Lady Jenny C., said Mr. B., presenting me to his uncle. A charming creature, added he. Have you not a son worthy of such an alliance? I, nephew, this is a lady indeed. Why, the plague, whispered he, could you not have pitched your tent here? Miss, by your leave, and saluting me, turned to the countess. Madam, you've a charming daughter. Had my rash nephew seen this lovely creature, and you condescended, he'd never have stooped to the cottage as he has done. You're right, Sir Jacob, said Mr. B., but I always ran too fast for my fortune. Yet these ladies of family never bring out their jewels into bachelor's company, and when too late we see what we've missed, we are vexed at our precipitation. Well said, however, boy, I wish thee repentance— though tis out of thy power to mend be that one of thy curses when thou seest this lady as no doubt it is again surveying me from head to foot and turning me round which it seems is a mighty practice with him to a stranger lady and a modest one too you'll say miss why truly you're a charming creature miss lady jenny i would say by your leave once more my lady countess she is a charmer but but staring at me are you married, madam? I looked a little silly, and my new mamma came up to me and took my hand. Why, Jenny, you are dressed oddly today. What a hoop you wear. It makes you look, I can't tell how. Madame, I thought so. What signifies lying? But tis only the hoop, I see. Really, Lady Jenny, your hoop is enough to make half a hundred of our sex despair, lest you should be married. I thought it was something. 
Few ladies escape my notice. I always kept a good lookout, for I have two daughters of my own. But tis the hoop, I see plainly enough. You are so slender everywhere, but here, putting his hand upon my hip, which quite dashed me, and I retired behind my lady countess's chair. Fie, Sir Jacob, said Mr. B., before us young gentlemen to take such liberties with a maiden lady. You give a bad example. Hang him that sets you a bad example, nephew, but I see you're right. I see Lady Jenny's a maiden lady, or she would not have been so shamefaced. I'll swear for her on occasion. Ha, ha, ha. I'm sure, repeated he, she's a maiden, for our sex give the married ladies a freer air in a trice. How, Sir Jacob, said Lady Davers, oh, fie, said the Countess, can't you praise the maiden ladies, but at the expense of the married ones? What do you see of freedom in me, or in me, said Lady Davers? Nay, for that matter, you are very well, I must needs say, but will you pretend to blush with that virgin rose? Odds my life, miss, Lady Jenny, I would say, come from behind your mamma's chair, and you two ladies stand up now together. There, so you do. Why, now, blush for blush, and Lady Jenny shall be three to one, and a deeper crimson by half. Look you there else, an hundred guineas to one against the field. Then stamping with one foot and lifting up his hands and eyes, Lady Jenny has it all to nothing. Ha, ha, ha! You may well sit down, both of you, but you're a blush too late, I can tell you that. Well hast thou done, Lady Jenny tapping my shoulder with his rough paw. I was hastening away, and he said, But let's see you again, miss, for now will I stay if they bring nobody else. And away I went, for I was quite out of countenance. What a strange creature, thought I, is this. Supper being near ready, he called out for Lady Jenny, for the sight of her, he said, did him good, but he was resolved not to sit down to table with somebody else. The countess said she would fetch her daughter, and stepping out returned, saying, Mrs. B. understands that Sir Jacob is here, and does not choose to see her, so she begs to be excused, and my Jenny and she desire to sup together. The very worst tidings I have heard this twelve month. Why, nephew, let your girl sup with anybody, so we may have Lady Jenny back with us. I know, said the countess, who was desirous to see how far he could carry it, Jenny won't leave Mrs. B., so if you see one, you must see t'other. Nay, then I must sit down contented, yet I should be glad to see Lady Jenny, but I will not sit at table with Mr. B.'s girl, that's positive. Well, well, let em sup together, and there's an end of it, said Mr. B. I see my uncle has as good a judgment as anybody of fine ladies. That I have, nephew, but he can't forego his humour in compliment to the finest lady in England. Consider, nephew, tis not thy doing a foolish thing in calling a girl wife shall cram a niece down my throat, that's positive. The moment she comes down to take place of these ladies, I am gone, that's most certain. Well, then, shall I go up and oblige Pamela to sup by herself, and persuade Lady Jenny to come down to us? With all my soul, nephew, a good notion. But Pamela, did you say? A queer sort of name. I've heard it of it somewhere. Is it a Christian or a pagan name? Lindsay, Woolsey, half one, half t'other. Like thy girl. Ha, ha, ha. Let me be hanged, whispered Mr. H. to his aunt, if Sir Jacob has not a power of wit, though he is so whimsical with it. I like him much. 
but hark ye nephew said sir jacob one word with you don't fob upon us your girl with the pagan name for lady jenny i have set a mark upon her and should know her from a thousand although she had changed her hoop then he laughed again and said he hoped lady jenny would come and without anybody with her but i smell a plot said he by my soul i won't stay if they both come together i won't be put upon but here is one or both where's my whip i'll go indeed mr b i had rather have stayed with mrs b said i as i entered as he had bid me tis she tis she you've nobody behind you no she han't why now nephew you are right i was afraid you'd have put a trick upon me you'd rather repeated he to me have stayed with mrs b yes i warrant but you shall be placed in better company my dear child sister said mr b will you take that chair for pamela does not choose to give my uncle disgust who so seldom comes to see us my lady took the upper end of the table and i sat next below my new mamma so jenny said she how have you left mrs b a little concerned but she was the easier as mr b himself desired i'd come down my lord davers sat next me and sir jacob said shall i beg a favour of you my lord to let me sit next to lady jenny mr b said won't it be better to sit over against her uncle ay that's right if faith nephew thou knowest what's right well so i will he accordingly removed his seat and i was very glad of it for though i was sure to be stared at by him yet i feared if he sat next me he would not keep his hands off my hoop he ran on a deal in my praises after his manner but so rough at times that he gave me pain and i was afraid too lest he should observe my ring but he stared so much in my face that it escaped his notice after supper the gentlemen sat down to their bottle and the ladies and i withdrew and about twelve they broke up sir jacob talking of nothing but lady jenny and wished mr b had happily married such a charming creature who carried tokens of her high birth in her face and whose every feature and look showed her to be nobly descended they let him go to bed with his mistake but the countess said next morning she thought she never saw a greater instance of stupid pride and churlishness and should be sick of the advantage of birth or ancestry if this was the natural fruit of it for a man said her ladyship to come to his nephew's house and to suffer the mistress of it to be closeted up as he thinks in order to humour his absurd and brutal insolence and to behave as he has done is such a ridicule upon the pride of descent that i shall ever think of it oh mrs b said she what advantages have you over every one that sees you but most over those who pretend to treat you unworthily i expect to be called to breakfast every minute and shall then perhaps see how this matter will end i wish when it is revealed he may not be in a fury and think himself imposed on i fear it won't go off so well as i wish for everybody seems to be grave and angry at sir jacob thursday i now proceed with my tale at breakfast time when every one was sat sir jacob began to call out for lady jenny but said he i'll have none of your girl nephew although the chair at the tea-table is left for somebody no said mr b we'll get lady jenny to supply mrs b's place since you don't care to see her with all my heart replied he but uncle 
said Mr. B., have you really no desire, no curiosity to see the girl I have married? No, none at all, by my soul. Just then I came in, and paying my compliments to the company and to Sir Jacob, shall I, said I, supply Mrs. B.'s place in her absence, and down I sat. After breakfast, and the servants were withdrawn, Lady Jenny said, Lady Davers, you are a young lady with all the advantages of birth and descent, and some of the best blood in the kingdom runs in your veins. And here Sir Jacob Swinford is your great admirer, cannot you, from whom it will come with a double grace, convince him that he acts unkindly at my brother's house to keep the person he has thought worthy of making the mistress of it out of company. And let us know your opinion whether my brother himself does right to comply with such an unreasonable distaste. Why, how now, Lady Davers, this from you, I did not expect it. My uncle, said Mr. B., is the only person in the kingdom that I would have humoured thus, and I made no doubt when he saw how willing I was to oblige him in such a point, he would have acted a more generous part than he has yet done. But, Lady Jenny, what say you to my sister's questions? If I must speak my mind, replied I, I should take the liberty to be very serious with Sir Jacob, and to say that when a thing is done and cannot be helped, he should take care how he sows the seeds of indifference and animosity between man and wife, and makes a gentleman dissatisfied with his choice, and perhaps unhappy as long as he lives. Nay, miss, said he, if all are against me and you, whose good opinion I value most, you may e'en let the girl come and sit down. If she is but half as pretty, and half as wise and modest as you, I shall, as it cannot be helped, as you say, be ready to think better of the matter. For tis a little hard, I must needs say, if she has hitherto appeared before all the good company to keep her out of the way on my account. Really, Sir Jacob, said the Countess, I have blushed for you more than once on this occasion, but the mistress of this house is more than half as wise and modest and lovely, and in hopes you will return me back some of the blushes I have lent you. See there, in my daughter Jenny, whom you have been so justly admiring, the mistress of the house, and the lady with the pagan name. Sir Jacob sat aghast, looking at us all in turn, and then cast his eyes on the floor. At last up he got, and swore a sad oath, and am I thus tricked and bamboozled? That was his word. Am I? There's no bearing this house, nor her presence now, that's certain, and I'll be gone. End of letter 33, part 1